the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, uh, everybody, and uh, welcome to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And joining us for this week's uh, edition of the program, uh, former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations and a frequent uh, guest on the roundtable, Mark Everson. Welcome back, Mark. Thanks for uh, joining us this week. I'm I'm glad it's been a while, Tom. I thought you guys didn't love me anymore, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know it's it's actually kind of uh, interesting, Mark. Um, and and I, I think uh, you're one of the, the the reasons that I credit for this is um, I've had a lot more people showing interest in wanting to take up the third chair. <laughs> so well, That's the, good. No, I'm, I'm all for that. I was just uh, kidding you. But, uh, no, no, well, the rotation you, has gotten a little bigger, and, and I don't want anybody to think that we're, we're forget, forgetting about them in between, <laughs> but, but it is nice to, to be able to include uh, more people. I think that's a good thing because maybe that means that there's more interest in in a diversification of the uh, discussion. And, you know, if you think about all the issues we discuss, that's certainly appropriate and much needed. Um, and, and we're going to continue with, um, with our uh, commentary and analysis on uh, local, state, and national headlines from the world of politics and current events. Um, this is one that we talk about um, a lot. Um, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer leads potential Republican challenger James Craig by five percentage points despite a negative job approval rating, according to a new poll. Now, one of the, and I'm not going to read the whole story, but one of the things that I found interesting about this is that a large part of the poll said that people don't even know that James Craig is a candidate. Well, there's 11 Republicans running. I mean, that's, I think that's part of the issue. Is there's so many candidates out there. And, and that he, But of the people who know he's running, he's, you know, ranking pretty well against yeah. an incumbent governor. And it's, um, but, but the question is, do polls like this accurately depict how the campaigns are going? Mm. 
uh, not this far out. Yeah, this early, I don't think so. It's, this is too far out. Particularly, I must say, with, with so many Republican candidates, and most voters, and in fact, I, I couldn't name all 11 names myself if you asked me right now of who's running. So it's, uh, it's going to take a while to sort it out. And James Craig has to move further and further out of the away from the cities to find out where those people who aspire uh, to his police stuff like that. Henry. Yeah, he's got to get out there, and at the same time, he's got to try to retain the support that he has in urban communities. He's got a big job to do, and he has to think it through well. So, uh, my my comment on this is interesting. We talked before about Mississippi. For congressional districts, I'm working with a friend who's uh, he's challenging an incumbent down here for Congress, and um, I've got to tell you, at this stage, it's all about the money. How's how's James doing raising money? Because when you get to the point of, of when the primary is actually take place, if he's got the airtime, that'll make a huge difference. But if he doesn't have the money to fund that, uh, that's that's a real issue. Who's got the money in the, those eleven Republicans? <clears throat> You know, well, one interesting historical thing for Michigan, though, is we have not denied a governor a second term since the early 1960s. I mean, we just have a habit of generally giving the governor the second term, particularly now with term limits. Uh, so, I mean, that's no guarantee, obviously. And Whitmer's got some, you know, some negatives to deal with during the, with the pandemic and all. That's but, part of what's going to make the, the state of the state message so important this evening. Because, um, largely because of the pandemic and her strong role early in the pandemic, um, what are her victories? You know, usually a governor will get up and say, you know, we did this, we did that, and this is what we're looking, you know, there's still more work to do, we go forward. Right. What, what, are she, what is she going to list as accomplishments? Um, you know, she shut the state down, and then the legislature shut her down. And you know, what? How, how is she going to make a, a positive case out of what's been a real tough couple of years? It really has been, yeah. Like I said, I think the GM plant and the jobs issue is going to be a big one in, in large part. Um, I know. I got got a lot of emails from legislators the last couple of days because of that announcement. Oh. Everybody's weighing in on it. Yeah. In fact, I was going to say that I think you may see an attempt now to portray that as a bipartisan affair. And in fact, some of the videos that I saw last night really were were not terribly partisan in the sense that they, they tried to portray her as someone who could work across the aisle with Republicans. And I think. To the extent she's had a few situations where she's done that, she may highlight that as kind of a counterpoint to our very divisive politics these days. Yeah, I thought that she's done that pretty well. Yeah, and, uh, the messages that I get from her office is that she's uh, always working well with uh, Republicans, and that's a good sign for me because I, I think good governance has to be in that modality. So let me yeah. ask a, Go ahead, a question here, guys. Um, you know, one of the issues even down here resonates now. There's been such a shift on the thinking of the country about crime with the increase in the homicides. Where does that play in, in her discussion? Because it's, it's an issue that people are increasingly focused on and not to, the, not to the benefit of Democrats, I would say, after all the positions that were taken over the last couple of years. It's, it's, it's 
something that has resonated as Republicans say the Democrats are soft on crime. Uh, what do you see happening there? Yeah, here in Flint, we had a near record number of homicides this past year, so it's 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 been a big issue. And um, and interestingly, Mark, um, other crime statistics are down, uh-huh. but homicides yeah. are up. And I yeah. suspect that the governor, because of the uh, shooting in Oxford, <clears throat> um, which is not very far from from Flint, Mark, the, uh, the school shooting that, that happened here just a, a few weeks ago. Right. I think she's going to, um, I think she's going to talk about that event and use that to establish um, a, a position of, of wanting to do more about gun violence and what that, what that means in terms of proposals I I don't know, but it's it's interesting here in Michigan um, that a number of Republicans from the legislature are starting to weigh in on this issue with a little bit more gun control friendly uh, rhetoric. Interesting. Hmm. And so we'll see how how she well, how she frames my, that. With respect to Mark's question. I think the shooting of the two policemen in either in New Jersey or New York, two policemen, one in New York, yeah. 22 years, uh, I think uh, she's going to, people are getting irate and they're getting uh, really anxious about uh, police violence, I mean the violence on police. Right. And uh, so that's likely to be She's going to have to moderate between a position and a position and a new position that is developing around the country. Yeah, and I, and I, think I think that old that whole slogan of defund the police is, is kind of a dead issue these days. I don't think anybody's going to walk going to be carrying that banner much. Well, and it'll be That's interesting right. to see you know what she says about the two police officers that were shot here in uh, uh, Genesee County in Burton. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Just just a month ago. Yeah. Now that was a, a yeah. very different scenario. There was a guy with a gun. He was being chased. Shots were exchanged, and as these two officers, uh, one was a, a county officer and one was a, a local Burton police officer, and and as they approached this guy, he he'd gotten hung up on a fence or something. Anyway. He returned fire and shot them both, and they ended up shooting him to death, and um, both of them survived. But it will be interesting to see how she manages to get support for police and what to do about um, parental responsibility in these school shootings because that's a big element in this Oxford case. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the the family around that the kid who did the shooting is just a, seems a bizarre family. Uh and the more you learn about them. So, yeah. And and it's going to be um and one other thing I wanted to say about the fact that she's doing this uh state of the state message um virtually is um, that our mayor 
did uh, something similar uh, with his State of the City message here, what, just uh, two weeks ago, a month ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought he did a pretty good job with it. And I, I'm going to be watching from a production standpoint. No, I no. I, th I think what you're going to see, in, in contrast to the usual state of the state of the, the state or, or nation, where you've got a cheering crowd, you know, somebody walks in and says good evening, and one half of the audience claps like crazy, the other one's the other half sits on their hands. I think you're going to see kind of a video show, and I think we're going to see video clips of people, including law enforcement, I believe of some of the things that have happened in, in Michigan here. So it, it may be a different kind of scenario and maybe more informative than the, the uh, speaking to a, an enthusiastic well, crowd in the halls. But, but is it more informative? Because what happens is I, I find these video things to be a little bit more form than substance because you don't have the energy of a live room and a live crowd. True. And and there's so much about the timing and the emphasis and all of those things, and when you just you set up a video camera, and and somebody's talking, you you know you just have a talking head, you have to do something to spice that up a little bit, and and it ends up being in the technology and not, you know, more yeah. in the form than the substance. For what it's worth, I think it's a mistake to be doing virtual events at this stage. People want their leaders to have the government functioning, and they want to see their kids in school, and they, they want to see just a normal, efficient, everyday life. And that's a communication that, uh, from the governor that the virus is still in control and that, uh, yeah. that very little has been done in two years to force an adjustment. And uh, so I think that's a blunder if, if, for what it's worth. And I'm not an expert in Michigan politics. I would No, but, but a month but, ago when the mayor <laughs> made the decision to do a virtual um, presentation, he had two, th two things going for him. One is that the Omicron variant was on the rise dramatically. So it seemed yeah. appropriate at the time. It's actually showing signs of going down now. So I think what Mark just said is, is extremely relevant with regard to the governor's uh, decision. Um, the other thing that the, the mayor had going for him is he used to be in television. And so he actually put together a pretty yeah. good broadcast. And it'll be interesting to see how well the governor does that because when they do it this way it rather than being a public address it turns into uh, kind of a political rock video you know one, one ironic thing about the virtual uh, state of the state of the state and and even the mayor's presentation is that recently the state legislature canceled their the state house canceled their votes because of fear of the pandemic and and they weren't meeting yet the the state law requires other governmental bodies school boards city councils county commissions to meet in person and not go virtual uh it seems like a strange contradiction in many ways to have these virtual things on the state level for the major officials but all these local bodies are required by current law to meet in person well we got to take a break there but we'll be back with more uh, probably be looking to uh, Washington when we return. You're listening to uh, 
Armchair Politics. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. A bill moving through the Florida State Legislature backed by a powerful utility company would slash the financial benefits of rooftop solar panels. Opponents of the legislation, including environmental groups, solar builders, and the state NAACP, say if it passes, a fast-growing green power industry would be turned off overnight, casting a dark cloud over solar's prospects in the Sunshine State. Should utility customers be prohibited from off-the-grid options? I don't think so. That's my gut and initial reaction. But then that depends on the environmental impact that might be negative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are things, other things that we're not hearing <coughs> that causes this argument to rise. What are they? Well, I just remember uh, so- someone I knew that was bothered by some kind of local ordinance, uh, and I can't remember if it was a state thing or if it was a local thing, um, that uh, made it illegal to collect rainwater, Hmm. which he was doing in barrels on his property the way they used to do and using it for, you know, uh, watering gardens and flushing toilets and, you know, all kinds of ancillary water uses. Um, but it was literally illegal and ticketable. And he um, he was really ramped up about this. Now, nobody was enforcing it. But it just, it just annoyed him that he could be fined if someone chose to enforce it. You wonder what was the logic behind that kind of... Yeah, what was the logic? I, I well, don't we, know. I, I, it's not a it's not a health issue. I can't see. We've got issues. This gets into the overall issue of government regulation. You've got a sort of an explosion of regulation in terms of state licensing of all kinds of different oh, jobs yeah. and professions. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. And then, yeah, I was thinking when you were chatting, Tom, uh, what about wells? When you when you drill a well in your Property, sure. you're affecting the water table, and uh, these uh, there's got to be a balance here. I don't like a one size fits all um, approach on on either side. But yeah, you you can't start doing things that are as Henry was saying destructive of the uh, uh, pardon me of the environment. But uh, at the same time, more and more regulation. That I'm not in favor of laws or regulations that, to your point, Tom, aren't enforced. If you got something, you should only have a law because you need it. I would suggest. Yeah, don't don't pass laws just in case you want to use them sometime. <laughs> I mean, address almost, a real problem. Yeah, yeah address a real well, problem. And sometimes enforcement. Young people get elected to uh, a board or to the state legislature, and they need to have their name on a law of some kind. So there's a big push. 
from those uh, who do that. A lot of stuff that they, we should not have uh, regulations unless there's a need to have a regulation. Otherwise, it's a bad regulation, and people probably won't won't adhere to it, and they're disrespected, making all laws suspicious. Exactly. It just it just it causes an erosion for respect for government and the rule of law, which is we don't need more of that. Well, it's just I, I know a lot of people, and and maybe some of this is is. Uh, because of the people I know in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan who, who have a tendency to think they're really sort of in a country of their own, <laughs> um, that, you know, are, are very interested in um, alternative power supplies and, and um, you know, being off the grid, not, not really being part of a, a municipal water or power system, um, and it, it, it just seems like the, the utility companies are, are trying to squash growth in that direction, which may have some positive impact on uh, uh, sustainability and protecting the environment. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I don't see the need for these frivolous laws, and they should be Well, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has been having conversations with former Attorney General William Barr, the committee's chairman said Sunday. To be honest with you, we've had conversations with the former Attorney General already. Representative Benny Thompson told CBS's Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation when asked if the committee would go to Barr. We've talked to Department of Defense individuals. We are concerned that our military was part of this big lie on promoting that the election was false, the Mississippi Democrat continued. So if you are using the military to potentially seize these voting machines, even though it's a discussion the public needs to know, we've never had that before. Barr, who was a staunch defender of Trump during his tenure at the Department of Justice and pushed the administration's law and order message resigned in December of 2020 after rebuking the then president's false claims about widespread election fraud. How significant is it that Attorney General William Barr didn't support or embrace the so-called big lie? I would think very, very significant. I mean, he's yeah. he's the one person who would probably be in the center of, if there were we're fraudulent cases out there. He'd be the one person in particular who'd be, who'd be informed of it, or in the center of it, or be aware of it more than anybody else. I would suspect. I would say um, there were two people who were essential to all this at, at the federal level, and I'm not. Look, you, you folks in Michigan, you had a couple of state officials who didn't, uh, you know, didn't buy into that there was fraud and stood up against the president. So right. the people at, at the local level did it, but the two people at the federal level who were essential to uh, maintaining order were Barr and Pence, because both of them were under pressure to uh, see things differently. And Barr's statement was very clear. Yes, there was fraud, but none of it rose to a level where it could have impacted the outcome of the election. I thought that was a very strong statement, 
and very good. And then we all know that Pence declined to inter- interfere with uh, the, the tally on, on the 6th. If they had taken different actions, we would be in a different place. So, yes, Barr is very important in in what happened or mainly what didn't happen, I would say. Mark, yeah. in that position, is the most believable. Sure, there was fraud, but it did not rise to the uh, yeah, significance of... In a nation of 300 million people yeah. and 180 million voters, you had a few people here and there of both parties, really, who did a few things, who tried to stuff the ballot box or voted for a dead relative or a few other off-the-wall kind of things. But as you say, nothing of that added up to any great consequence to change an election. Yeah. Look, you, go, you go back to think of history here. Uh, many, many historians believe that uh, Nixon was got shorted uh, in Chicago, in Cook County, in, yeah. in 60. But he, uh, you know, they didn't pursue that. Nobody is yet to come up with any allegation uh, about anything across the country in 2020. That's what I would say. So I agree with everything you guys just said. Do you think uh, yeah. William Barr will end up testifying publicly as part of uh, this January 6th investigation? I don't. I don't, I don't think so. He may give a statement or something, but yeah. he may testify, but there would be... I think he would negotiate, and because he's so yes. important, he would be able to negotiate what the nature of the questions would be, and the chairman would respect that because it would be important testimony. It would be important for him to reiterate what, what we just talked about, the fact that nothing here was out of the ordinary. That's what he would be able to say, and that's important. What do you think about Ivanka Trump? Will she end up well, uh, in front she of She'll have cameras? some stories to tell if she chooses to, if, which is another issue. Can she negotiate her way out the way uh, William Barr hmm. might be able to? Barr is right. different. Barr, Barr ran a department of government. Ivanka Trump was a staffer in the White House, and it constitutionally... There's been a lot more deference to White House staff than there is to people in departments. Uh, it's historically in terms of having to testify and executive privilege and those issues. But still, I think so. I don't think the fact that she's the first daughter has anything to do with it. Everybody would look at it from the point of view of she's no different than any other advisor to the president who's in the White House staff. Well, moving on, as the uh, Roe v. Wade ruling celebrates its 49th anniversary on Saturday, the vast majority of abortions have been outlawed for nearly five months in the second most populous state in the country. The way the Supreme Court has handled Texas's ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy signaled that its Roe precedent, a landmark abortion rights decision, does not stand to be fully intact by its 50th uh, anniversary. The fallout from the Texas legal fight has also provided a preview of what abortion access will look like across the country if Roe is dismantled. Abortion rights activists or advocates uh, warn that current um, reality in the Lone Star State may soon be the state of play in several other states if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade in a case from Mississippi that the justices are expected to decide this summer. 
Will Roe v. Wade survive to age 50? Mm. Uh, that's certainly, certainly problematic. Not in its current form and maybe not at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard yes. to say. But, uh, they, they may... They may not totally overturn it, but they're going to—I'm afraid—gut it so so much that it may not matter whether it's formally overturned. Well, you know, uh, significantly enough, it's uh, many women who um, don't like Roe v. Wade. You know, there's just there's something wrong with it. Uh, so, if they had different positions and women were uh, kind of unanimous in their focus on it, it, it would be different. It would change. But you've got to let the women be, say they have that peace. Yeah. And, and, and what it's going to do, I mean, we'll see what happens, but it could just shift the, the battle back to the states. In fact, I just saw a story here in Michigan. There's a proposed uh, ballot proposal for November that would uh, protect the right to abortion if it should pass. I mean, it still gets got a lot to go, a long way to go before it gets on the ballot. But it's one of several ballot issues that are in the pipeline for possible uh, 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 approval in, in, in November. I think Paul's got it right. The Dobbs case, uh, and Dobbs is the chief health officer down, down here. Um, I think the court's either going to overturn Roe v. Wade or at least uh, further dismember dismember it. And uh the question I have, more politically, is uh, does this energize the liberal base that it causes it to have any impact on the midterms? I'm, mm -hmm. I sort of thought that was the case, but then people, uh, people I've talked to around the country think that won't happen. It, it will. Um, there's just such an inundation of issues that that it won't have a significant impact. But I think that's the question. Goes, yeah, that's exactly right. It goes to the states now and. The people, people who don't believe there's a constitutional right, a lot of there is a sort of a revisionist thinking here that states around the country were legalizing abortion when Roe came along, and it would have been seen by many as a better, um, a better approach, frankly, if you had legal abortion rather than a, the establishment of uh, of a constitutional right, which many people don't see in the Constitution. So we may, as Paul says, just go back to that. Uh, situation but i can tell you it'll be a, it would be a long time uh before places like mississippi or alabama have um have legal abortion because it's gone through the state legislature that's that'd be very unlikely right yeah, yeah. well and and interestingly given the the political climate now in michigan at that time mark when uh, just prior to roe v wade when states were uh legalizing and or decriminalizing abortion uh, Michigan went the other way oh it did I didn't know that and really tightened up on it in fact there are efforts uh, in the legislature and on the ground in Michigan to uh, to to try and roll that back um, in case Roe v Wade gets gutted yeah well, that law is still in effect yeah, but over but and would go back into effect is what you're saying yeah that's, yeah, that's the concern is that um they would fall uh absent roe v wade it would fall back to what was there and what was there was pretty strict 
Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the initial law goes back to the 1930s, and it's still on the books. And as you say, if Roe Wade is overturned, then that that law in Michigan comes back into effect. And that's the mm. idea behind this petition. It's at least, like I say, beginning its process through the pipeline for possible uh, appearance on the, on the November ballot. Otherwise, it will be, it will be raised had not only um, passed the law prohibiting abortion, at the same time it should have repealed any other laws associated with that. And that way it would not, not have gone back the way it was within the end of the issue. Actually, that you know that that is what should happen when there are these uh, you know these big law of the land decisions, but it doesn't. And and we've talked about that before that there are <laughs> there are all these laws that have been passed, you know, over the last couple hundred years in uh, state legislatures all over the country, and some of them are pretty silly. Yeah. And, you know, they're not enforced, and, and uh, nobody pays much attention to them. But they really should clean house on some of these things. Yeah, isn't there a, fact, you may have mentioned some time in the show earlier, isn't there a book of, a collection of these silly laws? I recall one where, I think it was in Montana, it's a crime to carry a goldfish bowl on a bus. And you wonder where in the world does this even come from? Yeah, there uh, was. Uh, yeah, I I, I vaguely yeah. remember that, Paul, and I, I think there was one that was. Uh, you had to stop at this at a phone booth at the city limits of this town somewhere in the upper Midwest, and um, and announce yourself to someone. There was a you know a sign there and a phone number, and you and basically you had to announce that you were passing through this this town or driving into this town for some reason. Yeah, there are some weird ones, and and they don't get cleaned up. Um, once in a while, I, I I think we talked about this uh, once a few years ago, Paul, when um, the the state legislature. Um, put together a, a committee to go through and and wean some laws for uh, uh, for cleanup. Yeah, well, you know, my my only theory on the goldfish bowl is that sometime somebody must have done that and they dropped the bowl and somebody got a you know cut their hand on the on the goldfish bowl and they went to their city council member and says you got to do something about goldfish bowls and they went ahead and did it <laughs> because of some quirky accident. Uh, that's, that's my guess. I, I don't know any facts about it, but that's just uh, my hunch. Well, as long as down, they're not spending... Down here, it's... Go ahead. Just down here, I can see people would be attractive if Paul was coming into Mississippi. They'd want a, a warning, because uh, <laughs> they, they already think they got too many Democrats down here. You know. Especially if they find out he's from Illinois. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you probably won't be able to do much with your uh, with your Dewey ballots down in uh, Mississippi. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, just wanted to mention one more thing that was on Paul's list, and I didn't have any notes on it. I, I don't always jump on these international things, but um, in the three or four minutes that we have until the break, um, 
Any any thoughts on uh, the crisis in Ukraine and U.S. response, Paul? Do you want to set <sighs> that up a little bit? Sure is looking dicey. It really is. Uh, I, again, I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, I, uh, I, I really don't see an easy, a quick and easy resolution to that one. <laughs> the uh, t- two points I'd make. Uh, first, the president really, uh, he, it was a terrible moment in his press conference when he said, if, if it's just a minor incursion, it, it won't get much of a response. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, that I agree with those like Bolton and others who said that's just an open invitation to Putin. But the other piece that's interesting here that in the last few days is um, a, a lot of conversation about how Germany is very wobbly on the response. The other allies are much stronger. They're, they're sending in uh, additional armaments or support to the Ukraine, uh, and uh, but Germany is very reticent to, to take a strong stance. So uh, you see just Putin is, Putin may do pretty well out of this in terms of driving divisions in the alliance, and that's yeah. that's what's really at stake here is, is yes. the well, alliance and, and it's and, and it's interesting that you um, point to Germany because um, Germany is is in in some ways wrestling with new leadership yes with, with merkel a new chancellor that's exactly right yeah with merkel gone you know some of those relationships uh you know aren't as readily available and and so there's there's probably a great deal of uncertainty in germany and and that's um interesting right out of the chute with a with a new chancellor uh if I could say this, <clears throat> with good intentions, I'd like to say that Putin looks like a alpha male. And when you look at uh, our own president, he looks unsure of himself. Putin would appear like the person that the thinkers of the 16th and 17th century thought leaders should be like. And I think the whole world is looking at the same thing. But today, most people see it through that perspective. Yeah. I you, think know, that, you know, Henry, there's, there's an old saying that uh, in terms of foreign policy that the uh, the Russians play foreign policy like chess, uh, the British play it like <laughs> poker, and the Americans <laughs> play it like jacks. Yeah. I The other thing I would add here is the last point is uh, he may be biting off more than he can chew because uh, there, there's a real consensus, or not consensus, that's the wrong word, uh, a lot of thought about the fact that Ukrainians are pretty tough, and if he does go in there, that it'll be a real nightmare over time. That doesn't mean that there won't be a lot of disruption and damage to the alliance, but, uh, but he will pay a very heavy price if he goes into the Ukraine of all places. I think you're right. We have to take a uh, We hope you're right. Um, yeah. we, have to t- <laughs> we have to take a break here, and uh, then we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, which is always my favorite, the, uh, the X-Files. Um, if you're listening to us on WFOV, our voice is Radio 92.1 LPFM in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com. 
we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community Schools, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Whiplet Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. 
The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have them. Yes, one. Speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And, and when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And, and your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's doctor. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics with the uh, X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that uh, sometimes seem too strange to be true, but are, in fact, true. Um, and we start with this, uh, with this one um, from Hampshire, England. Millie, a three-year-old Jack Russell Whippet mix, disappeared after slipping out of her leash in Hampshire, England on January 13th, according to a Facebook post by Denmead Drone Search and Rescue, a nonprofit pet rescue group. The group embarked on a four-day rescue attempt, but little Millie kept disappearing, Chris Taylor, the chair of the Denmead Drone Search and Rescue team, told HuffPost via email. The situation became severe when the pup was spotted on a mud flat with a rapidly rising tide near Emsworth on the uh, UK's south coast. If Millie wasn't rescued quickly, she would be at risk of drowning. A coordinated effort involving police, firefighters, and others ensued, but Millie kept on defying rescue efforts. That's when one Denmead's drone pilot, Dave Pike, came up with a creative solution. Attach a sausage to a drone in order to lure Millie to safety. One of the local residents on the beach where uh, they were flying from supplied them with uh, the sausages. Um, the woman cooked them up for us and we attached them with uh, string. Thankfully, Millie took the bait and was coaxed into a safer spot where she could be safely rescued. After Millie's little adventure, she was taken to the vet and is completely fine, the rescue group said on Facebook, adding lots of TLC and rest was the only thing prescribed. Is this further proof that sausage isn't just for breakfast anymore? <laughs> I think so. Well, it sounds creative. <laughs> well, here's here's an especially weird one. The Missouri State Highway Patrol alert sent cell phones blaring statewide. Authorities in Gotham City, Missouri, were searching for a purple and green 1978 Dodge 3700 GT. But there is no Gotham City, Missouri, and the car referenced was the one used by the Joker in the 1989 <laughs> Batman I was going to say, a purple and green car, come on. <laughs> so, 
Soon after the Tuesday evening alert, the patrol sent another saying to disregard it. In a brief <laughs> news release, the patrol said a routine test of Missouri's blue alert system was inadvertently transmitted statewide. The system is meant to let the public know when a police officer is killed or seriously injured in the line of duty. During the test, an option was incorrectly selected, allowing the message to be disseminated to the public, the news release stated. A message left with patrol on Wednesday seeking uh, additional information wasn't immediately returned. In a case like this, wouldn't it be better to just use the bat signal? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that would be much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's one we all wish would happen, happen to us. I, I think this is from, uh, yeah, this is from Michigan. Um, Laura Spears, 55, of Oakland County, told Michigan Lottery officials she bought a ticket for the December 31st Mega Millions drawing on MichiganLottery.com. I saw an ad on Facebook that the Mega Millions jackpot was getting pretty high, so I got on my account and bought a ticket, Spears said. A few days later, I was looking for a missing email from someone, so I checked the spam folder in my email account. Spears said a message from the Michigan Lottery caught her eye. That's when I saw an email from the Lottery saying I had won a prize. I couldn't believe what I was reading, so I logged into my Lottery account to confirm the message in the email. It's all still so shocking to me that I really won $3 million, she said. The winner said her prize money will allow her to plan an early retirement. <laughs> yeah. So what's in your spam folder? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> checked that in so long. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, that just that that one just tickled me. And, and of course we all <laughs> yeah. wish that would happen. Um and it's it's been close a couple times. I, I I had a chance to hook up with some Nigerians a few years ago. And, <laughs> oh, but that uh that never really panned out. Yeah, um, those those princes are always so generous, aren't they? <laughs> oh yeah, millions. Yeah. But millions that email was a nice one. The lady oh, apparently had great dignity and respect. She mean, <laughs> oh no, that. So let me go back. Let me go back to the dog for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw uh, that story. Maybe you maybe you covered this, but around New Year's. There was a dog uh, in uh, New Hampshire, and it was up on the border on the 89, I think it was, with Vermont. And the guy had been drinking. There were two people in the truck, and they ran off the road and down into a, uh, you know, the woods or something like that. The dog ran two miles into Vermont and then led troopers back uh, to find the vehicle, which they never, they all agreed, they never would have found the vehicle, and the, and the people would have died in the, in the cold. But for the dog. So the dog, oh. was, this was a, a, a true story, and uh, they kept trying to apprehend the dog, and the dog wouldn't let him, and finally led him to a gap in the highway, you know, the barrier, and they looked down, and sure enough, there was a truck down there. But oh, anyway, that's amazing. So the dogs can be, can be good that the dog is not cooperating. It's all what awesome. a great story. That is that is a great story. I think I read yeah. that. I, I missed that one, and, and I look for those um, 
There, there <laughs> should be some kind of a Rin Tin Tin award for, for that. Well, dog. they said she was a real, the dog was a real-life lassie is what they said. Yeah. So yeah man's man the best friend. That's right. But the lady who won the uh, $3 million had great grace, and you had to cheer for her. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I, what a wonderful story. You know, she, she just... You know, she got enticed a little bit by a Facebook post, so she went online. I, see, I never, I, I never play any of those games online, and um, you know, it's nice to hear this one turned out well. I buy yeah. twenty dollars tickets for Powerball once or twice a year when it gets way up there, and yeah. uh, if I get four dollars, I get excited. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, when they first started, I bought we bought a few, but haven't done much since then. It's yeah. Very occasionally. Yeah, I don't have that kind of luck, but I but I do consider myself to be extremely lucky to have the three of you uh, join me for Armchair Politics today. It's always uh, a treat to have um, Paul and Henry as uh, our roundtable regulars on the left and right, respectively, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you both for... Uh, you always always a pleasure. It really is. Uh, uh, Tom, do you realize there's so much money in the lottery... We have enough money collectively like that to pay off the national debt. We probably think do. about it. <laughs> we probably do, and and why the schools are struggling so bad, I just cannot imagine. But I want to say a very special thanks to uh, Mark Everson. It was it's always so hey. nice when he joins us, and and I. Uh, I want to make sure he knows we'd we'd love to have him back again uh, <laughs> yeah. soon. That we still right. we still love him. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. We'll Please hurry back. All right. And, and I'm still looking for a Mark Everson for for president campaign sticker sometime when my for my collection. <laughs> Let me know when you find it. Right. I, I will do that. Yeah, I will okay. do that. I have a bumper sticker. I, I got to figure that out. Find I, one. See if I can find one. Did you right, give those good. all away when you were in Iowa? Yeah, we had a, a limited number of those, but <laughs> I had a friend who who had one on his on his Tesla in Cleveland, and it drew some interest. Anyway, <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much, and uh, and we'll talk again. Very good. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Have any, a good evening. Any final uh, any final thoughts uh, in the last thirty seconds or so? Well, like I say, we'll see what the state of the state is tonight. If there's any real surprise, I, I see that, by the way, as to be the kickoff of the campaign in many ways. I think that will I be think the, you're the right beginning. About that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think she has to score some points tonight to get that rolling. Anyway, um, who did we just lose? Henry's still there? Nope, I think Henry. Uh, oh, okay, well. Well, anyway, thanks again, Paul. It's uh, you it's bet. Always Have a treat. good evening and good talking to everybody. All right, take care. And there's Smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's uh, time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Tom Sumner program here on 92.1 LPFM in Flint and at TomSumnerProgram.com. So, uh, have a great day and uh, try to stay warm. We'll see you tomorrow. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.